Anthony McHale gets a good ball in. Noel Dawson is waiting inside. Will he field it? Noel Dawson has it. Noel Dawson lays it off to Larry. Larry scores the goal! Oh, oh, the green and red mayo. A litany of rules. Defeat snatched from the jaws of victory. Close calls. The story of Mayo football has been written on the script of hurt. But a, a great never-say-die attitude. They've got three goals back. I came 3,000 miles for this game in New York. And was worth every penny and every mile. And Mayo are going to be back next year. And we're going to, we're, and we're going to, be, we're going to be better. Every year since 1951, Mayo fans have been left holding their faces in their hands. As the county's best have failed to cross the winning line yet again. From its rolling coastal waters, I can see Co-Patrick's Peak. Where once this year, the Green and Red Army began the championship adventure again, filled with new hope, guided by the irrepressible John O'Malley. This is a typical Thursday evening. I'm just leaving Dal I've uh, been here since um, Tuesday morning early. Uh, trained with the guys in Dublin on on Tuesday night and heading home to Castlebar now to to, uh, to make it uh, before 7 o'clock we start at half 7 and obviously the big thing is to try and get out of the city before the traffic and uh, some one or two evenings I was caught in it and it was a, a race against time but uh, for the most part I managed to, 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 get, to get out and to get on the road and I, I try and um, get my thoughts together obviously on the road because there's lots of uh, uh, sections I remember back in the old days of, of managing years ago before the mobile phones you actually could spend more time thinking and your, with your thoughts but uh, for, 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 for now sometimes the, the phones the phones click on or whatever and that breaks your train of thought but I find it I don't mind driving at all. I find it uh, good to to be, to be with oneself and, and your thoughts. And, and at this time of year, the thoughts are championship um, and the intricacies of uh, you know getting guys back from injury, getting everyone to the starting line fit. Uh, so here here we go again for the 2009 championship. I suppose it's hard to believe. It's 20 years since um, I was involved in the first in my first period when we got to the All Ireland in '89. Lost out narrowly on that occasion, and, and, and we've come up, played in four All Ireland since that '96, '97 um, under John Mahan. Uh, '04 and '06 under Mickey Morton, and we've come up short each time I suppose 96 was the real one that got away but uh, I have no doubt that somewhere along the line people say to me will Mayo win in All-Ireland say of course they will but uh, the question is when you'd never know Um, the phone ringing now Um, hello Ger how are you It's just um, 10 to 7 here now. We're just after coming into Castlebar. So I'm looking forward to the session this evening because after the long drive and we need the... I can see the... I can smell the grass cut there and, and uh, really looking forward to it. I think things are coming together. Right, let's take it. Pace! 
For the next two and a half hours, John makes the Mayo players toil in the evening sun. But like their county men before them, it could be that the gods have already decided their fate. Legend has it that way back in 1951, a priest placed a curse on the Mayo All-Ireland winning team. Paddy Prendergast, Mayo team of the 40s and 50s. I don't know what to say about it, but it, it seems to have worked. But was we were coming back from Dublin. This is the this is the story I heard anyway. We were returning from Dublin uh, after winning. I don't know, was the fifty of probably the fifty one around. Sure, it must be the fifty one, or we wouldn't have won it. <laughs> it's just had the two of the course, and I think it was in Foxford. We were travelling by lorry, and. The reason we were travelling by lorry, I suppose, was that we came through the very small towns and Sean Flanagan, who was captain, stood up and made his speech, you know, and that. And he did the same at Foxford, saying they had a room saying, you know, the same day, the only thing warmer than a than a, a, a Foxford um, rug was a Foxford welcome. And while the, the story is that, that there was a, a funeral going through the town, I don't remember this, but... That there was a funeral, and that we didn't come off the truck to let the funeral pass. When the priest saw us uh, on the truck and and noticed that we weren't getting off the truck to attend the funeral, he was evidently he was very angry, and he said, "Mayo um, will never win all Ireland while any of these people live." And, and if he did, he was right, <laughs> because, because it doesn't look it doesn't look very promising at the moment. I can tell you that much. I have travelled for the last forty years, you know, to Connacht finals, to Connacht semi-finals, and unfortunately, most of the time, I came back you know, um, in despair, really, because. Uh, most of the time we lost, unfortunately. And I always refer to that as, as uh, my personal Via Dolorosa, that journey, that long journey of 40 years or more, you know, and no victory. It's, 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 it's unbelievable, really, isn't it? Three generations of Mayo have suffered and mourned in this unique valley of tears. But yet the dream begins anew each year with a little boy and his first football. For Sean Frayne, the captain of the Mayo Miners in 1953, the dream was no different. Football was very much part of, of kind of, I suppose, every father maybe thought of their son playing, for the, I don't know, for the club or the county. But my father had been secretary of the Connacht Handball Association. Unfortunately, he died a very young man as a result of, of uh, illness that he incurred as a, by being involved in the Troubles. And uh, but uh, I actually just barely remember him. I was only four years of age when he died. But I, on my fifth, uh, on, on the Christmas after he died, my mother had a football for me, and it was one he had bought for me already. 
it was uh, he had seen the war coming I think and footballs weren't very uh, uh, couldn't bite them very easily in Kilkelly where I was born and so he had a football for me I remember still a brown football and we pumped it up and I was out in the street kicking it on Christmas day and so excited with it The summer of 1953, I went to the seminary in Minute. But then I went on that summer to be made captain of the Mayo Miners. And that was an extraordinary honour as well, to Captain Mayo. And to be number 11, to play in the footsteps of the great Parry Carney was for me another great honour. He was some, one of my boyhood heroes. So I, uh, I went on from there, as I say, we won the, won the Connacht Championship. And then we went, uh, went to Crow Park, went to play Armagh in the semi-final. And there I... Um, I uh, had, a, had a final, my final game because I was go- going to Minute. And of course, going to the seminary, I knew that I wouldn't be able to play in the All-Ireland. But that seems so strange to people today. I mean, my own children, uh, my friends are constantly saying to me, uh, my gosh, what was that like? And in a strange way, it doesn't strike me as, as having been the awful sacrifices might appear now. Uh, I mean, in retrospect, I'm so sad that I didn't have the opportunity to, to receive the Tom Markham Cup. In fact, at the time, as, I, as far as I understand it, some rule was passed by the, the Irish hierarchy that priests wouldn't be allowed to play county football. And I think there were many victims of that, that rule subsequently. And in fact, a few fellows did and, and had to change their names, like Peter Quinn was Peter Quinlan, for example, playing for Mayo. He was a Columban priest. And there were several other examples of it, I, I think, around the country. I think Mick Cleary as well had it was Mick Casey or something like that playing for Dublin after his ordination. So it was, it was certainly after. After ordination, there was no question of you supposedly playing. But this was when we were... I was just a first year, just about two weeks in the seminary. Of course, it had a lot to do with, with you know, views of the role of the church and priesthood and so on, as removing you from this world and its, its, its wiles and its evils or whatever, and preserving you for this holy, holy role that you were expected to play, play in the church. For 58 years, Mayo fans have been weared on a diet of defeat, each remembered like beads on a rosary. The domino of loss continues unabated, as final salvation still awaits. A shortish one up the middle, John Neal going across, there goes to Willie McGee on the left. Willie has a chance of a goal here. He shoots now and it's over the bar. Willie McGee, Mayo footballer of the 60s and 70s. We were professed to have had a good team uh, during that time and certainly the personnel were there all right but apparently for some reason or other I don't know what it was we hadn't the killer instinct. During the time of my, my playing with Mayo uh, we certainly we had the will to win all right but we hadn't that killer instinct built into us. Uh, I know there was a phrase that was used by different managements at the time that when Mayo blood is red and Mayo grass is green, you know, we go out there to play football. And we certainly did uh, play football to please. But we found ourselves oftentimes being kicked off the field and uh, uh, abused, something that was never driven into any of the Mayo teams that I ever played with. After the match, supporters from both sides paid tribute to the spirit of the defeated Mayo team. I think it's a great credit to Mayo in our club support. I think it's the grandest, cleanest team I've ever seen to another Mayo team. I hope they're back again. Willie Joe Padden, Mayo footballer. You know, when I started off playing, playing for Mayo, uh, you know, basically we were only training you know, a couple of nights a week and the training that time wasn't next or near as professional 
as it is now, or, or even as some of the teams at that, in that era, the likes of Kerry and Dublin, had, you know, had gone in leaps and bounds ahead of any other county because they were training four or five times a week. So basically, you know, I remember going playing an All-Ireland semi-final against Kerry in 1981, and you know, Mick O'Dwyer was in charge of that Kerry team. That was probably the best Kerry team or the best team ever in the country. But the one incident in that game was that in the second half, obviously we didn't score in the second half. <laughs> so the ball was constantly going over the bar <laughs> or in the net, but Michael Webb was in goal uh, on, on that team. And I remember him saying to me after the game, he was just wondering when he kicked out the ball, would he be back in goal again <laughs> to kick it out before it has gone over the bar? <laughs> so that shows you how much pressure we were under. <laughs> Like, these guys were training four and five nights a week. Like, we were only training twice a week. So, basically, we were grand up at half time. But when the second half came, you know, obviously, we started to, you know, flag a bit. And, like, the Kerry guys were going at the end just like they were at the start. So, basically, I, I just think that it's not maybe down to a win-at-all cost or the win-at-all cost mentality. I just think that, you know, we really hadn't the, the, the groundwork done before we, before we went to the games because we hadn't been, the training schedule hadn't been as... You know, as, as intense and uh, as it should have been, you know. When God will bait me up, you think we'll go with bait me up? Not if they have Willie Joe. They have no hope of baiting me up. Often it seemed that Mayo's problems on the field were caused by the powers that be off the field. Decisions taken by the county board did not always seem to be in the best interests of the players. And on a rain-soaked afternoon in Castle Bar, former Mayo legend TJ Gilgallan recalls an evening in 1992 when this self-destructive streak was particularly evident. In 1991, we, we lost the Connacht uh, final to Roscommon after a replay. Uh, John O'Mahony had completed four years of, uh, uh, in, 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 as manager at that stage. Uh, as far as I can recall, he... he at that, up to that point, he did not have his own selectors, and he asked the county board in in the autumn of 1991, you know, could he nominate and use his own uh, selectors? Uh, that wish was not granted by the county board, so it left John with no no other option but to uh, you know to step down as a manager, and that was a big disappointment to the players because a lot of the '89 team at this stage were perhaps past their peak and he had started to develop a, a new team and had brought in a number of, of, of young players and uh, you know even though we were beat by Roscommon Roscommon were, had a good team in the early 90s and we felt that, that there was a lot to offer in the coming years for Mayo so a huge disappointment to the players and obviously uh, as I said left John with no option but to step down so what happened after that was the county board uh, advertised the position uh, as far as I can remember, there were very few people who applied for it. Uh, the people who did weren't deemed to be qualified enough to manage a county senior team. So the county board then were left with no alternative but to put a management in place themselves, which which they did, and they they appointed a four-man uh, management team that was uh, fronted by by Brian McDonald. And Brian came in uh, with every good intention. Uh, gave his time, gave his commitment, gave his effort but uh, there was many sort of confrontational moments th- throughout throughout the, the one year reign and uh, different issues arose. I suppose the most uh, well documented one uh, were here in Casabar in, in Dunstow's car park where in around February of 1992 uh, we 
conducted a, or had a training session here under under Brian. I, I remember the evening well. Uh, I travelled from, from Sligo for training. The weather was quite poor at the time, so it wasn't a surprise that there wasn't uh, you know outdoor playing facilities in any pitch. But when we arrived to change in the in the dressing rooms at Castlebar Mitchells, and we inquired where we were training. It was a bit surprising to hear that there was no venue or no alternative venue had been found. So the management decided the, for us to have a run, a run up, up, up the, main, the main road and that they'd meet us up at Dunstores Car Park. And initially we thought it was probably a joke, but we soon discovered that, that that was the case, that it was going to go ahead there. And what was, I suppose was, was annoying me most was the fact that there was only about 14 players present. Uh, we had just returned to train after the... Uh, the, uh, the Christmas break because the league that time uh, three games was played prior to Christmas and the other four games afterwards uh, personally I was annoyed that we, we weren't being told where other players were I had travelled from Sligo other lads had travelled from um, Galway and from Belmullet uh, but we, we gathered and we trained here in this car park and at that time there was no 24 hour park and so there was plenty of ample, ample space to, uh, to, to use the, the wide open car park here and we did some drills and, 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 and so on, but uh, the end of the training session finished up with um, a, a car pushing race where the four selectors sat in, sat in their their big uh, cars, Opel Records and so forth, and perhaps three or four players uh, pushed each car uh, the whole into the car park, distance probably of about 150 metres or so. And then we finished and we, and we jogged back to, to, to shower in, in, in Castlebar Mitchell. So... You know that I suppose that lasted in our memory and in our mind, and um, we did go on to win the Connacht title that year um, in Castlebar, a famous game in the in, in, in the sense that uh, the crossbar broke in that game. Aon Gavin went up to try and stop a Mayo score and uh, pulled the crossbar down. At that stage, I think Roscommon might have been leading by a pint or two, but the ten or fifteen minute break seemed to do us more good than Roscommon because we went on to win the game. I think by maybe seven or eight points. Well, there was a lot of disappointment after the uh, the end of the campaign in, in, in 1992. Um, we, we, we felt we could have got to Ireland that year. We, we didn't. The performance against Donegal, uh, the preparation, I think, going up to that game, we felt as players just wasn't good enough. And as I said, there was a lot of con- confrontational uh, situations that year. And I suppose it all came to a boil at the end of that campaign. And the players met and... Uh, just had a general discussion on it and it was felt to a man that we, we, we couldn't as a group continue to play under the same management and uh, so there entered a standoff between the players and the management and the county board tried to resolve it but the players were adamant that uh, you know if the management was staying on that they weren't going to play so you could say that that, that was an example of, play, of player power uh, we just felt there was too many incidents and issues over the past 12 months that uh, left players with no choice but, but to, to take their stance so eventually the management did step down I don't want to talk about things we've gone through though it's hurting me even by Mayo standards 1996 was an abysmal year 45 years on from their last All-Ireland they faced Meath with real conviction that they were about to reach the promised land. But in the very last minute, a freak score, where the ball bounced over the bar, denied the dream. Two weeks later, 
Mayo and its worldwide diaspora descended again on Crow Park for the replay. This was to be their day. But within minutes, the dream went sour. Or a shattered and right move makes contact. Conley is across the goal. John McDermott blocks it. Plenty of defenders in there. John McDermott will man the broken. They're swinging around in there now. And uh, John Casey going in. And they're all at it in there now. And this is absolutely disgraceful. No need at all. And there's practically 20 of the players there now. And they're coming from all sides. And the referee should take strong action now. And perhaps he should dismiss one or two right away if there's to be any order for the rest of the game. And they're still at it. Yes, there are two players going off. Colin Coyle is going off and Lee McHale is going off the Mayo team. Paddy Prendergast, one of the few survivors of Mayo's last All-Ireland win, again made the long pilgrimage to support his beloved Green and Red. But that day, the fickle hand of fate had a new twist in his catalogue of disappointment. Oh, 1996, oh, I should dear sacred heart to God Almighty. I certainly wasn't impressed by the refereeing, you know, and that's for sure. In actual fact, he may be a good referee, but I wouldn't if I met him on the street. I don't think I, I would bid him at the time of day. So we lost our best man, and they lost our worst man, you know. And uh, it's always, I can tell you there was very little justice in that. And uh, it was, it was, uh, oh, Jesus, it was terrible. Over the next 10 years, Mayo contested bravely, reaching two more All-Ireland finals, only to lose on both occasions to the mighty Kerry. 2006 brought another shot at redemption. Billy Joe Padden, like his father before him, wore the county jersey on All-Ireland final day. Yeah, uh, uh, 2006. I suppose it's a, it's a great occasion to play in an All-Ireland final. I suppose it's very much a case of unfinished business for a lot of us, you know, uh, the, the most disappointing thing for me personally, anyway, is that you you you, you did feel like you don't you didn't do yourself justice. I suppose people come down fairly hard on Mayo teams and say, well, you know, you don't do yourselves justice in Crow Park. I think that's slightly unfair. You know, there's plenty of times we have played excellent games in Crow Park. We beat Tyrone in 2004. We beat Dublin. You know, and beat some a lot of solid teams there. But I suppose at the end of the day, you have to you ha- the sign of a really good side or a team that's worthy of winning All Ireland. You have to do it consistently, and you have to do it on the biggest day, which is the All Ireland final. And unfortunately, we didn't have enough. Uh, we didn't have enough as a team on the day, and didn't pl- didn't didn't play well enough. You know, uh, you know. People can say there's a, you know, what are the reasons for that? But at the end of the day, I think the book stops with the the players themselves. You know, you you're responsible for your own performance on the day, and unfortunately, it wasn't good enough. Ready? Who's the first receiver? Right, go. Now the ball stays in. Come on, meet it. Right, come on, come on. Next runner, next run. Come on, go. Yeah. Come on. Take it now. Take it down the bounce. Down the bounce. The former Liverpool manager Bill Shankly famously said, "Football is not a matter of life and death. It is much more important." As he finishes his training session in Castle Bar, John O'Mahony knows more than most the distortion of that comment. OK, that was a, I was happy with that session tonight. Uh, the journey I'm going on here uh, on, on the way home uh, is a journey I went many, many years ago as a player um, uh, and with my colleagues from East Mayo on, on that particular occasion that I remember... With not good memories is the journey that we went um, home from Castlebar one night after training uh, with Ted Webb. A Mayo senior county footballer, 21 years old, Ted Webb, was killed when the car he was driving was in collision with a train at a level crossing near Ballyhonus. 
The dead man was a member of the Mayo Under-21 team that won the All-Ireland title in 1974. OK, we're just um, approaching uh, a bend on the road here um, and I suppose this brings it home to me more than anything. That fatal night um, on the Kilshamachal Kelly Road as we turned off, off towards Ahamore. Um, I'll never forget the... We were actually... I was only beginning to drive at that stage and um, the, the, we had to, the turn came on me more quickly than I thought and we, we actually, I had to check and and uh, there was a period where I felt that we may go off the road and there's a, just, a, as you can see there, a soft landing in there and maybe, maybe when I think back on it, if we had actually had a, an accident which that night or if we went off the road or went into the ditch, uh, Ted would be with us today. Where we are now is at the at the the place where, on the level crossing on the railway line, where Ted uh, met his 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 God, um, and again it's very difficult to put to put words on this because, um, for my own part, I left him at his house that night, uh, went home, went straight to bed, heard the eight o'clock news on the radio in the morning that a, a Mayo footballer had been killed in an accident. And I said to myself, well, it's not Ted Webb anyway because I left him home safely last night. Uh, but the phone rang shortly afterwards and I got the, the terrible, terrible news. Um, now, for people who might know Ted Webb in 2009, he was uh, one of the brightest underage stars uh, that uh, Mayo was producing. I played with him. Uh, on the two years earlier in an All-Ireland final uh, under-21 final uh, where Ted scored according to Michal Murkathy one of the, the greatest goals that was scored in, in Crow Park he was a strong physical player uh, I'd have known him particularly in East Mio because Balahadrine and Ballyhonas were at loggerheads at the, in that period uh, and there were some great battles um, and uh, uh, Ted had a didn't drink, uh, was totally dedicated to the game and was totally the type of player that Mayo needed in that period because, as we all know, the 70s uh, was a period when uh, was uh, that Mayo didn't uh, win a Connacht title and uh, I have no doubt that if Ted Webb was around uh, for the years when he should be at his peak for Mayo that uh, that uh, blank decade wouldn't be as blank as as, it, as history shows it now. I suppose it was it was in the 70s. Uh, the fashion at that period was John Travolta, and many people said that he had the John Travolta look uh, with the the black the black hair and uh, and the smile. Uh, except that Ted Webb did his entertaining on the football pitch, uh, and I I've. All stars uh, hadn't come his way at that stage, but I've no doubt that he would have been uh, in that category if uh, he had been granted a, a life and a career with Mayo. Well, I mean, what uh, what emerged was that uh, Ted's um, uncle uh, needed a lift home when he arrived in from training, and he literally um, uh, threw uh, down the the gear bag, and uh, I think Ted drove. Uh, his dad's car was a, a Peugeot 405 at the time 
uh, and um, his uncle's residence was the railway line had to be crossed and, and uh, uh, I suppose Ted was a, an excellent driver far better than me as I demonstrated on that particular night uh, but uh, uh, it was a, one of those unmanned crossings and obviously he thought that he'd get across before the, it was an unscheduled mail train or something uh, uh, and you know that's where he met his death I remember the the funeral and the the, the I suppose the grief and uh, of the Ted's uh, mum and dad uh, and any any life and any life in an accident particularly is tragic but the life of a young person at the peak of his physical and athletic powers and to uh, be there on the the, as the as Ted's remains uh, were brought through the town of Ballyhonas uh, to their final resting place, uh, the whole community of Mayo and indeed the GA community throughout the country uh, were with the Webb family on that on that uh, occasion. I suppose what people say sometimes is that time is a great healer, but in uh, certain cases and this is one of them uh, when we think of Ted Webb when we think of Mayo football when we think of the red and green when we think of I'm sure in Ballyhonas uh, there are some places that have never been filled as a result of this uh, tragedy that happened 33 years ago I suppose for when you when you play football and when you have those friendships and those loyalties, to happen once uh, is is very difficult. But to think that uh, four years later uh, we had the tragic death and another tragedy of a murder of uh, John Morley, uh, who I've been speaking to only the morning that he was murdered in a football context as well because at that stage John had moved to Castlery and was playing football with Castlery uh, to think that the county had to bear the cross of that of another tragedy and another murder and another loss uh, to the people of Mayo and to the football community of Mayo Dermot Early former Roscommon footballer born in Mayo we're standing here on the road between Lachlan and Balahadreen in the parish of Lachlan where I have grown up and as I look around me the trees are in good shape the land is lovely and green the hedges are in full bloom and it's a lovely peaceful place and when I recall the 7th of July 1980 I recall a huge tragedy that occurred here when Gartha John Morley and Gartha Henry Byrne were killed in the line of duty it's a small area, everybody knows everybody else and then the incident was played out on the radio particularly. A gang of armed and masked men raided the Bank of Ireland branch of the town and got away with a sum of money believed to be about £35,000. Within minutes the alarm was raised and the Castle Regardi raced towards the scene to try to intercept the raiders. About midway between the two towns they confronted the getaway car but the raiders immediately opened fire on them, fatally wounding the two Gardaí. 
The raiders then sped away from the scene and are believed to have split into two groups, later hijacking two cars. Gartha Byrne died almost instantly on the roadside at Loch Glynn. Detective Gartha Morley was rushed to Roscommon County Hospital but died shortly after admission. The two other Gartha in the patrol car... Were and one of the most vivid memories I have is of the explanation given by a former Garda Neefsi of Loch Lynn who came on the scene and when he looked out he said he recognised the footballer and he spoke to him as he lay on the side of the road in the ditch he was obviously bleeding and John in reply to a question said I'm getting cold and then Garda Neefsi said I whispered an act of contrition in his ear Mick O'Connell tells Porter Dunhu, I'll take this. Porter that's just what he's doing. He takes it now and lobs it just into the Mayo half. Coming down 60 yards out, John Morley blocks it down to PJ Loftus, who can't hold on to it. Pat in some ways, Mayo has been in mourning for the last 58 years. But the tragic loss of Ted Webb and John Morley put sport into perspective. And their heroism on and off the pitch have ensured that they retain a special place in the hearts of all Mayo people. None more so than the county's most iconic figure, Willie Joe Patton. I had the privilege of playing against John Morley in a club game, and the one thing I remember, he played for Ballahadreen, and I was playing for Balmoris in a, in a league, club league game, and I remember standing beside him, and I was about, I think I was about maybe 17 years old, I think at the time, and I remember standing beside him, and I just had one look at him, I said, if this guy falls down on top of me, I'm killed. <laughs> he had the biggest pair of legs that I've ever seen any man, but, but an absolute gentleman and, and uh, you know, a great footballer and a great servant of Mayo football indeed. One of the particular memories I have of John is, I think, playing in the league semi-final or final against Down in Croke Park. In a game that was tight enough, I think down one in the end. But one of the things that happened during the course of the game with John playing centre-half back, I can see him still in the number six jersey, but in the course of a tussle for the ball, he lost his shorts. And instead of stopping and sitting on the pitch or wanting to get a replacement pair of shorts immediately, he just carried on wearing a blue swimming trunks the game was more important to him than his modesty. He caught the ball, dummied left and right, moved forward and delivered it onwards down the field. When a break in play came, the shorts were replaced, much, replaced much to the huge delight of the crowd. But it was the makeup of the man that nothing would stop him from doing the right thing on the football field for his beloved Mayo. Coming down 60 yards out from the Curry goal, two Mayo men going for it. John Morley gets his fist to it. Manages to get it on there to the waiting Des Griffith. Des with the ball now. Rooted away by John Morley. Eventually on to Joe Langan. 40 yards out from Mayo. Joe John Morley gave Mayo. over half his life to the county jersey. And like many great Mayo players before him and since, they never brought Sam Maguire back to Mayo. Oh, the green and red mayo, I can see it still. It's soft and craggy boglands, it's tall majestic hills, where the ocean kisses Ireland, the waves caress its shore. Oh, the feeling it came over me, to stay forevermore, forevermore.
Peak, where one Sunday every summer the pilgrims climb the reek, where St. Patrick in its solitude looked down across Clouvet, and with the ringing of his bell called the faithful there to pray. The hurt of Mayo football has been shared by both the county's men and women. But often it is the women who keep the flame of hope burning. Women like Mary O'Neill, whose son Kevin has been one of the many mighty Mayo footballers. Mayo football is a very connected world. Kevin's father managed Mayo in the 80s and they were the first father and son to win All-Star awards. My daughter Orla is getting married shortly to Colin Sheridan, who's a brother of Morris, who starred for Mayo in the 90s. A chance now for Higgins. Brighton Higgins sends it in and kicked into the back of the net by Kevin O'Neill. A goal for Mayo, and maybe something they badly needed. Absolutely, they're after getting the rubber degree. Football means a lot to people in Mayo. Life can be tough at times, as I discovered myself when I had an accident recently. So instead of looking at the negative side of things or complaining about the health services, we look to the Mayo team to lift our spirits. Here they come again, send out to Pallard Gardner, Pallard Gardner to Keith McDonald. He's inside most of the defenders, up the left-hand side, and left with a kick from Keith McDonald. It comes off the upper, a chance for Kevin O'Neill, and another goal for Mayo by Kevin O'Neill. The game has taken a dramatic turn. I think it's fairly common knowledge, but in the west of Ireland, exploits are described as being mighty. The day was mighty, the game was mighty, the player was mighty. Despite 58 years of disappointment, this summer, John O'Mahony and the current squad will give it their all, in the hope that Mayo can finally drink from the keg of glory. I suppose for my own part and after that obviously it would lead I took up won the Connacht Championship with Leitrim but I suppose the duck was broken from a Connacht perspective in ninety eight when, when, when Galway um, went on to, to, to win the All Ireland and I'll never forget, I mean, for years I had looked down at the winning dugout in the minutes coming up to the final whistle and try and realise what it would be like and dream to be involved in some way with that and when that happened for Galway in 98 it it was everything that I thought it would be in the sense that you had a a sea of uh, in Galway's case maroon and white and, and, and I saw what it meant to a county to a province but particularly to a county I suppose in the sense that you had the great three in a row Galway team at the time who had been the heroes uh, of yesteryear and were so supportive and so willing the 98 lads to take the baton off them and I'll never forget uh, under the the old Hogan stand as we were taken in a wave in up to the presentation and in down under the stand afterwards seeing the tears in the eyes of the, the late Matty McDonough and Enda Collarn all of those people Sean Purcell who had been there from 56 uh, tears of, of joy that the baton had been taken and now Galway had new young heroes um, 
and that is the, the dream of us here in Mayo we have the heroes of 51 Paddy Prendergast John Ford you know uh, slowly uh, many of those heroes have passed away passed on uh, but I would give everything that I've ever done in sport to see their expression if the present generation uh, could bridge the gap and I suppose that's what all of us involved in Mayo football whether it be players management, county board supporters want to see as well I'm convinced that um, the search goes on the search will go on because I've always had a a view of life in search of a dream that a winner never quits and a quitter never wins If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one.